Well, good evening, everyone. Please turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is found on page 1151 of the Pew Bible. We're going to read verses 1 to 20, but the sermon passage will be verses 14 to 20. So listen, this is God's Word. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before your face. You will prepare your way before you. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Then all the land of Judea, And those from Jerusalem went out to him, and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, There comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Immediately, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness, and he was there in the wilderness forty days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beast, and the angels ministered to him. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, and believe in the gospel." And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. Amen. May God bless us the reading of his word. Now, I wonder if you're familiar or have heard of the term Operation London Bridge or the code term London Bridge is down. Operation London Bridge is the enactment of a plan that will happen when Queen Elizabeth II dies. And this plan was first created in the 1960s and has been updated multiple times ever since. And as you can imagine, it involves various government departments, the Church of England, the Metropolitan Police Service, the British Army, the media, and Transport for London. The plan includes the announcement of her death, the period of official mourning, the details of her state funeral, 
and of course, the announcement of a new king. Prince Charles will be announced as the new king. Well, in Mark's gospel, there is also great planning for a coming king. The stage has been set for this new king to arrive. The one to prepare the way has come, that is, John the Baptist. He testified of the coming Lord, of whom he wouldn't be worthy to untie his sandal straps. And then at the baptism, we had the testimony of God the Father about Jesus Christ. You are my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, as well as the Holy Spirit, who anointed him from his ministry. And our passage this evening begins with John now in prison. His ministry is effectively over. He has fulfilled what he was supposed to do. He has prepared the way for Christ. And this passage begins a section in Mark's gospel of Jesus preaching and his performing miracles, demonstrating his authority as the king. And so I want you to recognize that Christ the king is here. And so respond to the good news by turning to him and surrendering your life to him. So firstly, notice you are to listen to Jesus' message of a coming kingdom. Mark records the beginning of Jesus' preaching ministry in Galilee. Now, it is understood from the other Gospels that Jesus had already began his ministry about a year now in Judea, but now he has returned to his home region of Galilee. Galilee is a place that is populated by both Jews and Gentiles, and so it is particularly relevant to Mark's readers in Rome, who would also be a mix of background, both Jew and Gentile. And Jesus came to Galilee to preach. And here Mark gives us a summary of Jesus' preaching. He preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. Let's consider this word gospel. We've considered it a couple of weeks ago, but let's look at it again. The term gospel has now become very cliche. It's hard to understand what is meant when people use the term gospel. And sadly, words like gospel or evangelical or born again have been hijacked. And it's not that we're not to use them, but we are to understand them clearly. Gospel simply means good news. And it's more than saying I have some good news to share to you about my family or about my job or about my health. No, it's much bigger. It's national. It's international of importance. It would be like the discovery of a medical breakthrough or the establishment of peace between two countries who were at war or an invention that would transform society. This concept of good news is evident during the time of the Romans. In the Turkish city of Priene, they have discovered a tablet that used the word gospel in referring to Caesar Augustus. It refers to his birthday, the day he was born as good news, for it was the beginning of an era of peace and salvation for his people. He even started a new calendar system based on the year Augustus was born. Jesus, in using this phrase of good news in his preaching, is telling the people that this is earth-shattering news. It's the beginning of something huge. It's on the level of the transformation that the Roman Empire brought to the ancient world. 
Jesus is not announcing another empire like the Roman Empire. He preaches the kingdom of God. When we think of kingdom, we often think of a physical kingdom. I am from the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. It's a geographical area with the queen as a sovereign, as a head of state. And there are limitations to this kingdom. There are boundaries that once you cross, you're no longer inside the United Kingdom. Well, the kingdom of God is a reign of Christ over this world, and it's evident in the hearts of his people. The Old Testament, it contains many prophecies of this coming kingdom, a kingdom that Christ himself would establish on this earth. He would not be restricted by one country. No, his dominion would be over all nations of this world. All people are accountable to Christ the King. The people of Israel, remember, are under political oppression by the Romans. They're also under spiritual oppression by their religious leaders, who rather than shepherd them, were discouraging them in their faith. And so they would hold on to these Old Testament prophecies, a promise that God himself would intervene, that they would know joy again. Sproul writes, the people of Israel in the Old Testament look forward to the day when God's rule would be manifest here on earth in the coming of his anointed one. And we read a description of this coming kingdom in Isaiah 35, verses 4 to 7. Sorry, I don't think you have this in your handout. But it says, Say to those who are fearful hearted, Be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And then verse 10, And the ransom of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy in their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And so this passage speaks of a great transformation, of newness of life, of joy and security. And so there was much anticipation for this coming kingdom. I'm sure children, uh, before Christmas, on Christmas Eve, uh, you were very excited about the next morning. You were excited to open your Christmas presents. Or you who are older and married, maybe the night before your wedding day, you were full of excitement and anticipation as you would marry the love of your life. That was the excitement in Israel at this time. This was the good news. And the kingdom is not only good news for Israel, it is good news for you too. You too face difficulty and frustration in this life. You feel the sorrows and the disappointments of this fallen world. And so you too must anticipate and yearn for the coming of the kingdom of God. It is good news for you. The kingdom brings joy in your sadness and hope in your despondency. That is the transformation of God's kingdom. Secondly, notice you are to recognize that Jesus is the king of this kingdom. 
Jesus said, the time is fulfilled. That means the prophecies of the coming kingdom have come true. The world has been waiting, but now that waiting is over in Christ. And it also speaks of the confidence that Christ has in his mission, that he will complete and fulfill every prophecy about himself. Jesus also said, the kingdom of God is at hand. Other versions we read, the kingdom of God is near. Now, that can be confusing. It does not mean that the kingdom of God is near in terms of time, that it will soon come. No, it's at hand, or it's near in terms of geography. We talk about something or someone being at hand or being handy. It means nearby or it's convenient. Well, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's at hand in Jesus Christ, for he is the king of this kingdom of God. And so he is God. He is the divine king. He is the promised king who would come into this world to rescue his people. Now, many people ask the question, who is Jesus? That's a question that Mark seeks to answer in his gospel. But the response of most people is that he's a good teacher or that he's a good example for us to follow, that he's a religious guru or that he is a miracle worker or even that he's a revolutionary. But how many would say that Jesus is God, that he is the divine king? And yet this is what Jesus is declaring. He's openly declaring his kingship to be good news. And that's provocative language. Jesus is saying that he is like Caesar Augustus, that he is greater than Caesar Augustus. Jesus, too, would impact a calendar. Even today, we refer to Jesus coming into this world every time we mention the year. It's 2022. It's 2022 years since Christ came into this world. He came from heaven into this earth into people's lives to bring them into his kingdom. Now, at the moment, the news is dominated by President Putin on the border of Ukraine seeking to invade. Putin is not coming to bring, he is not invading Ukraine to bring peace or to enrich the Ukrainian people. No, he sees them as a threat to Russia. And so he comes to bring instability he wants to weaken, he wants to dominate these countries that flank the Russian border. Putin does not bring a gospel to the Ukrainian people. His arrival, or the arrival of the Russian troops, is bad news for the nation of the Ukraine. Well, Christ comes into this earth, not to dominate, not to bring instability. No, his coming is good news. He brings peace between you and God. And he would not do this remotely. No, he is at hand. He would personally come so that the people would know his presence. They could feel his touch. And we will see that in our study of Mark's gospel. Jesus is the one who would shepherd his people. He is the one who would defeat his enemies. He is the one who will heal his people. Now, Matthew records the same event in a few more details in Matthew 4. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt at Capernaum, which is by the sea, 
in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. Isaiah prophesied that the coming Christ would bring light into darkness. Jesus himself said he is the light of the world. He overcomes the darkness, and this he would ultimately do when he sacrificed himself to atone for our sins on the cross. Here he tackled Satan's kingdom of darkness, and he was victorious. In doing so, all worldly kingdoms that are against Christ the King are defeated. Not one of them is strong enough to defeat Christ the King. Instead, he will judge them for their opposition and bring them to nothing. Ferguson writes, he calls men into his kingdom. He subdues the forces of the kingdom of darkness. He restores those who are sick and banishes the effects of sinfulness as well as forgiving the sins themselves. This is good news indeed. We get so frustrated by our politicians, whether it's locally or at a federal level. Our political leaders are so disappointing. But you are to remember that Christ is king. He is the victorious king. He has overcome darkness, and so his kingdom will stand secure. He is the loving king who brings you into his kingdom. So how are you to respond to Christ the king? Well, thirdly, notice the gospel message requires an urgent response. Jesus isn't giving a public service announcement here. This message isn't simply for information. No, it's one that you have to respond to. There's no way to sit in the fence. You accept it, or if you don't, you're therefore rejecting it. Jesus tells us how to respond to his kingship, to the arrival of this this kingdom. You are to repent and to believe. And repentance is very simple. I'm sure you've had the experience of using a GPS to find your destination. What happens when you miss that destination, when you drive past it? Well, your GPS chirps, please make a U-turn. And so you have to turn around. Well, repentance is turning your life around. Your life was in one direction. It was serving another king, the king who is yourself, Your selfish desires cause you to continually self-serve, to look out for number one. And so believe that within yourself, and also believe that within yourself, that you have the power to save yourself. And so when you repent, you're humbling yourself. You're acknowledging that you're not the king in your own life. Instead, you are a subject to another king, to King Jesus. And so you must abandon your own kingdom and recognize his kingdom. You must believe that he is the good news. You must believe in his mission. Well, why would you do this? Why would you submit to him as king? Well, you recognize that his kingship is good news. He is a victorious king, 
And so you want to be on the side of victory. Bowing to Christ as your king will lead to a transformation in your life. He is now priority in your life. He is king over every part of your life. And so you must continually repent. It's not a one-off. The more you recognize Christ's kingship over your life, the more you are convicted over sin, of areas of your life that are not under his dominion. And so you must bring every part of your life under his kingship. As you know, I'm a fan of Downton Abbey, and some of you have watched the series too, and maybe you've been in some of these huge stately homes, whether in the UK or in America, and they all have these systems of bells so that the family who lives upstairs, all they have to do is simply pull a lever causing a bell to ring in the servants' quarters. And these bells are not to be ignored. The servants had to respond right away to the request of their master. They had to stop what they were doing. It must have been an inconvenience at times, but it doesn't matter. They were serving their master. And if they had a good master, it would have been a joy for them to serve them. And likewise with Christ in your life, your life has been transformed. And he will call on the different bells in your life, whether that's your time or your hobbies or your aspirations. And you must submit to Christ, for he is your king. But he is a good king, and likewise you will find him a joy to serve. You are to put him first in your life and obey him. You are to live a life of service to him as your king. For as king, he also comes in judgment. And so all those who will not respond to him, who will not repent of their sins, they will be judged. The right response is to repent and believe that he is the good news. Well, fourthly, consider the irresistible call of Christ causes you to surrender your life to him. We see from Mark a very practical application of Jesus' message. We see its impact on four people's lives, on Peter, on Andrew, on James, and John. Now, you must remember that Jesus has already interacted with these men before, and we see this in the opening chapter of John's gospel. Andrew was present at Jesus' baptism, and he later invites Peter to meet Jesus. Church history suggests that James and John are actually cousins of Jesus. And so this account of Jesus walking along the shore and simply calling men who, what seems to be like them responding in a hypnotized state, is not what's happening here. It's not as random as it seems. Mark does describe it in stark terms to reinforce that when Christ calls you, you surrender all in following him. And so this calling of Jesus is unique. Yes, in those days, rabbis would have a group of disciples following them, learning from them, but it wouldn't be the rabbi who chose his disciples. Instead, it was the other way around. These men who followed rabbis, they would approach the rabbi first to ask if they could follow him. But here it's Jesus who chooses his men. And he continues to do so today. He comes into our lives to choose us. And it's not a case of deciding whether we want to follow him or not. No, he chooses you. He comes into your life. He comes into your world. 
He is the king with authority, and so is irresistible. You can't say no. You don't want to say no. It's the only thing that makes sense. C.S. Lewis writes about his conversion in this way. He says, you must picture me alone in that room in Magdalen, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet, that which I greatly feared have come at last upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed. Perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all England. Likewise, when Christ chooses you, you follow him. But in following him, we see that you are to totally surrender your life to him. We like to compartmentalize our lives. We give to God 10% of our income, two to three hours on a Sunday, the occasional act of service, but we hold on to the rest of our time, our money, our energy, tight to ourselves. That's not surrendering all to Christ. These men here had a prosperous fishing business. Fish from the Sea of Galilee, Uh, would be sold as far north as Syria and as far south as Egypt. We read that when James and John left their boats, they left behind their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And that gives you an idea that for James and John, they were successful not only for themselves, but they were providing a livelihood for other families. They left that all behind to follow Christ. I'm not suggesting that tomorrow that you quit your jobs. These men had a unique calling in their lives, not only to be disciples of Christ, but to be his apostles. Jesus had new jobs for them to do. They would be fishers of men. They would enter full-time gospel ministry work. And these years with Jesus was years of training. After Jesus' departure, they would be used by him to tell others about the kingdom that Christ is a king that all must submit to. For James, he would soon lose his life. He would die by the sword as a result of the persecution of King Herod Agrippa. Peter would travel to Rome and die there, being crucified upside down. Andrew traveled to the borders of Russia along the Black Sea to preach the gospel. He too was crucified, supposedly on an X-shaped cross. And John would go to Ephesus and later be exiled on the island of Patmos. These men surrendered their lives across the world in their submission to Christ, the king who himself sacrificed his life to give them and us salvation. The transformation in these men's lives is incredible when you consider how they had such humble beginnings, and yet they would have an impact across the world. So while they were unique, their example is not unique. This is how you respond to Christ your King. You may be asked to surrender your job, or your country even, or even your family to follow him. Sproul writes, every Christian who has followed Jesus since that day has had to make that same choice, to leave everything and follow him. And you too are called to be fishers of men, meaning you are to be proclaiming that Jesus Christ is king. 
Christ's kingship advances across this world, and he uses the preaching of the gospel to accomplish this task. And so young people, you're planning the next stage of your life. You should consider, consider the question, what does Christ, my king, want me to do? Young men, you should be considering the call to gospel ministry. But it's not only uh, ministers who preach the gospel. Every one of us, we are proclaiming God's word and how we live our lives and in the words we say. Our love for one another it speaks volumes in this world of broken relationships. It becomes obvious in the darkness of this world who you are as servants and subjects of the king of the light. We're so quick to blend in, to conform to this world. But Christ the king has called you to be witnesses for him and to be fishers of men. And so consider this week who you can reach out to with the gospel, who you can invite to do a Bible study with, who you can bring along with you to church next Sunday. Too often we hesitate. We become afraid. We worry about our reputation. But remember who you are. You are subjects of the king. And so each morning you should wake up and ask, what is your king calling you to do today? What is he asking me to surrender in my service to him? Let's remember, Christ the king is here. Respond to his good news by turning to him and surrendering your life to him. Amy Carmichael, the famous Irish missionary to India, wrote many books which were extremely popular. Even today, her writings, they continue to inspire many people. And what makes her words so powerful is the fact that she lived them out. She surrendered all to her king. And this caused her to leave her family and to proclaim the gospel in India for 55 years. She helped young children who had been forced into prostitution in the temples to escape. She set up an orphanage for them that began to grow to over 1,000 children. Amy's life was full of difficulty, and yet she writes in response to John 15, verse 12, which says, Love as I have loved you. We cannot love too much. Well, Christ loves you with the good news, and so you are to turn to him, and you are to surrender all to him. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this good news. We thank you that Christ is King, for how his kingdom has come. And Lord, we thank you for how his kingdom has come into our lives. And we pray, Lord, that we would continue to repent and believe that we would see areas of our life where we have not and put them under your kingship. And so, Lord, convict us of our sin. And Lord, that we would be quick to repent, to turn around and to follow you in every aspect of our life. Father, help us to surrender our lives to you, that we would be fully committed to you, putting you first and seeking to obey you in everything. And so, Lord, give us the strength to be bold. As too often, Lord, we are afraid, afraid of our reputation, afraid of what others think. Instead, Lord, that we would be witnesses of you uh, to this watching world. And so we pray you would give us the strength to do this. We ask this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. Please turn in your psalm books to Psalm 37a. The psalm calls us to put our trust in God and to live faithfully for him. We see the result if we do so. We will find joy as we serve him. So let's praise God with these words. Let's stand and praise him.